Good morning. I'm glad that you're here today. I hope that you're glad to be here. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. We're going to kind of uh, pretty much go through this entire chapter uh, this morning, talking about um, some, some relationship issues. Um, but I also just wanted to kind of give you an idea of where we are. We're in the book of Genesis. We're uh, going to spend this week, and then in a couple of weeks, we're going to kind of talk about this story of what's going on with Lot in the context of Genesis. So we're going to be out of um, just sequence a little bit, so just kind of bear with me in that. Next week, uh, in case some of you need a reminder, next week is kind of a really big Sunday for a lot of people in their lives. It's a thing called Mother's Day. Uh, so in case you need just a reminder of that, Mother's Day is next Sunday, and uh, God's kind of been pressing in on me a, a message uh, entitled, um, How to Make Mama Happy. And, uh, and so I just kind of invite you to be a part of that next week. It's going to be a good time as we dig in uh, to one of the New Testament epistles. Uh, and I just hope that you'll, you'll come, bring somebody with you. It's going to be a good time. So uh, this morning we're going to talk about relationships. We're going to talk a little bit about how to resolve some conflict in the midst of relationships. We're going to uh, just kind of look at what's going on in Abram's life and uh, those types of things. And I wonder a little bit if you're like me and you've gotten to the place where you realize um, that relationships can be messy. Not only can they be messy, but they can be incredibly complicated. Now, it, it doesn't matter what kind of relationship we're talking about. We're not just talking about like a relationship between a husband and wife, and we could be talking about a relationship between uh, parents and children. We could be talking about a relationship between grandparents and grandchildren. We could be talking about just a relationship between friends. We could be, there, there's so many different levels of relationships. You could be talking about relationships within a family context, with a brother or a sister or a, a niece or a nephew or all those types of things, there's, there's potential for those relationships to become very messy. And sometimes the very messy can happen very quickly in, in the midst of your life. And so uh, this morning you, you actually will encounter a little bit of that uh, in Genesis chapter 13, what could potentially be something disastrous. Now, it, it actually winds up not being disastrous, so to speak, but it could have been in the midst of their relationship. There were some other things that happened as a result of some decisions, but in the midst of this relationship, Abram showed great strength and great resolve to find a solution to a problem in the midst of that. And that's kind of what we want to talk about this morning with relationships. And I wonder what side of conversation you've been on in the midst of some relationships. You've probably encountered a little bit of conflict from time to time to time. Hopefully you have, because conflict is actually good. It's probably going to be necessary in the midst of your relationships. And I wonder this morning if maybe you've been on one side of, of one of these types of conversations. Maybe the conversation says something like this, that um, I had such high hopes for our friendship. What went wrong? I, had I thought I had finally found someone that I could trust. And maybe that's been one side you've encountered that, uh, that statement on one side or another. Maybe you've been the person receiving that statement. Or maybe you've been the person giving that statement, that you felt like you'd finally found somebody you could trust, and something happened in the middle of that relationship that wound up hurting uh, that, that relationship. Or maybe it was this, something like um, maybe you got defensive. Uh, when somebody brought something to you and you said something like, I can't believe you're questioning my integrity after all the things that I have done for you. It's not like I am the only one who has failed in this relationship. You've hurt me too. Don't you just love that? 
You ever been on the receiving end of that where somebody, they, they want to turn the table on you a little bit? Maybe you finally build up the nerve to confront somebody with something they'd done wrong, and then they turn it around and says, well, I'm not the only one at fault here. You're at fault too. Have you ever been in the midst of one of those conversations? Or maybe it's, maybe it's something like this. Maybe it's something that says, you see, that's the problem. You always act like you are more committed to the relationship than I am. And I love, I love this part. So you watch like a hawk, just waiting to pounce on any hint of failure. So you're watching. You're always watching. You're watching like a hawk. To, to you're wanting me to fail. You're wanting me to, to not succeed. You're wanting me to fall through. And so you're, just, you're waiting. And every time I do it, you're there to remind me of it. You're there to correct me. You're there to do something. Maybe you've been on one side of that or another. Maybe it's this. So why does it always go here? We can't even have a discussion about the weather without it ending in an accusation. You can't even have a discussion about the weather without it ending in some sort of accusation. See, relationships are messy because we're all human. Relationships are messy because not only are we human, but a majority of the time, most of us want to be right. At least that's been my experience. That's been my experience is that I want to be right, and I know a lot of other people, mostly all of you, you can say all of you want to be right. And when we enter into these relationships, and we all want to be right, and sometimes you can't be right, they get messy, and it gets complicated, and it gets frustrating. And sometimes you just want to give up and you want to walk away. But the reality of it is, since relationships are messy, and they are potentially hurtful, there's some things we struggle with in the midst of this. Because nobody wants to be hurt. Nobody wants their feelings hurt. Nobody wants to deal with the, the, the difficulty that comes in the midst of those emotions that you feel. So we start to erect, we start to put up these walls in our life. Because we feel like if we put up these walls, we're safer. If we put up these walls, we can kind of stand back at a distance and we won't be impacted nearly as much as if we didn't have these walls. Because we know that relationships can be hurtful. So, so sometimes these walls are a safeguard for us. And these walls look like maybe something like that you're not letting, willing to let go of a past hurt. Sometimes that's a wall that we put up there. We go, well, I was hurt like years ago. And because I was hurt years ago, I'm not willing to let this wall come down. Because this wall is safety because I was hurt years ago. And sometimes that's what we do in our relationships with other people. We allow, we, we put that wall in place to put it there. Maybe your wall looks like um, that you get angry at the way that your children complicate your lives. One way you could say that, I mean, there was the, actually one of the things was, the word was teenagers, but I feel like in my context that sometimes it's just children. It's like, man, how frustrating it is sometimes. When your kids, maybe, maybe you're dealing with some sickness, and Jane, Jane and I were joking a few minutes ago. Welcome back to church, Jane. Um, it's one of those things where she's been sick, her kids have been sick, and it's been happening week after week after week after week, and it's like, man, it's so frustrating. And sometimes that's what it feels like in the midst of your relationship with your children is they complicate your lives. Or, or maybe it's, you're the type of person you want to put up a wall that you're going to become defensive when you get challenged. You're going to become defensive when you get challenged. Or, or maybe you're going to avoid conflict altogether in your relationships with other people out of fear. Maybe it's out of fear of what people think of you. Maybe it's out of fear of, of what could happen if you take that wall down. And so what, what happens a lot of times in relationships is we choose to go down another road. We've put the wall up in place, and then we want to kind of deflect 
attention off of ourselves. So what do we do? Well, we find it easier a lot of times in relationships to gossip about other people. I know nobody in this room would ever do that, but I mean, the other people, they all do that. They gossip about other people to deflect attention off of themselves because let's face it, it's easier. Y'all are not real happy this morning. I can sense that because it's easier. It's easier to talk about somebody else than it is to be honest with who we are. And so it's easier to gossip and talk about other people's problems than even think about addressing our own problems, and so we gossip. Some people decide that they want to lie out of fear of what others will think, so they might make up these really great stories about themselves. You know, sometimes you've known somebody like this. I like to call them, the, you know, the kind of the one-up kind of person. They got a, everything you've done, they've got to they've one-up you on it. And sometimes those one-ups aren't, aren't true. They're just telling all these lies because they want to make themselves look better to you. Or how about this? Because I believe that almost everybody in this room is a control freak. So we, we actually spend our life trying to control the relationships around us. Because we don't, we, don't, we don't like to not be in control. We like to be in control. We like to have control. And so we actually, that's how we focus our relationships. Even how can I manipulate relationships? How can I control relationships? I know a lot of people that are like that. That they, want, they, they can't stand not being in control. They can't stand not being in control. Um, I go back to years ago. I've shared this story with you, but years ago, as I was learning to drive 22 years ago on the island, uh, I, I was in a car. My dad was next to me. My mom was in the back seat, and we come up on a light at Palmetto Dunes, and at the time, the light was blinking yellow for whatever reason, and my dad and I are just kind of casually talking, um, and all of a sudden, from the back seat, my mom, you can hear her foot going through the floorboard, and, and you can hear her. I mean, she's going, It's yellow! And my dad, just in his quiet, gentle spirit that my dad has, turns around and says, it's blinking yellow. But that's the kind of control freak that my mom thought we needed to stop because she thought the light was going to turn red, and my dad, but we're all control freaks. And we want to control and we want to manipulate relationships around us. And what's interesting is when you really dig into Scripture, the Bible has a lot to say about relationships, and you can learn from the mistakes that other people have made. I hope that you do that. I hope you learn from the mistakes that other people have made in your life. I know that me, I'm the youngest of three boys, and, uh, and my, my brothers like to make the accusation that um, I was spoiled. That's what they say. I'm looking at the camera because I'm going to make them look at it online, but um, they like to say that I'm spoiled, and I just look at them and say, I'm not spoiled. I just learned from all your mistakes. I just learn from your mistakes, and that's what we need to be doing. And honestly, when you look into Scripture, you can find some of these things that happen in somebody's life. And in the life of Abram, we've talked about him for the last couple of weeks, and we've talked about his faith, or particularly last week we talked about his lack of faith as he um, entered into this uh, season of famine or trial in his life. We talked about how he, he tried to control the situation himself, he, he, and that led to all of these other things. It led to him forgetting God, and that led to him being selfish. And, self, and, and all of those types of things happen in the midst of somebody's life. But the beautiful thing about Abram is in his life, he has these seasons of great faith, and then he has these seasons of great failure. And usually the great failure is then followed by another season of great faith. And it's, it's, a, it's a remarkable thing when you look into Scripture and you begin to see that in a lot of ways, we're the same way. That we go through these seasons. We go through seasons of great faith, and then we go through seasons of failure 
hopefully followed by seasons of great faith. And these seasons and the faith that we have will impact the relationships that we have with people around us. And so here's kind of the idea this morning that, that I, I want to talk about. And it, and it has to do with Abram in, in Genesis chapter 13. And the, the idea is this. As faith grows, grace grows. It's the only point in your outline. As faith grows, grace grows. Now, let me, before we dig into Genesis 13, let me just kind of talk about what I mean by that. As faith grows, grace grows. It's something to remember in your life. And so here's what I mean. Faith, uh, going back to a definition that we put out there a couple weeks ago, faith is believing that God is who he says that he is, that he's going to do what he said that he's going to do. And so when you kind of will use that definition of understanding that faith, so as faith grows, as your understanding of God is who he says that he is, he's going to do what he says that he's going to do, as that grows, then grace grows. One guy that I listened to a couple weeks ago, he defined faith this way. It's faith is believing the promises of God and the God of the promises. Believing the promises of God and the God of the promises. But the idea is, in our life, as our faith grows, as our walk with Christ grows, as we mature, as we grow in Christ, as we get to know God more intimately, however you want to define that in in the context of your life, you need to be growing in your relationship with God. And as you grow in your relationship with God, grace should grow in your life. Because here's, here's the truth for all of us. God loved us when we were sinners. God didn't love you when you were a relatively good person. God didn't love you because you went to church all the time or growing up. God didn't love you because of who your parents were. God didn't know. Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God loved each and every one of us as sinners. And as sinners, God extended grace to each and every one of us. So in your life, as you begin to understand faith, and as you begin to understand God, as you begin to understand that he loved you in spite of who you are, not because of who you are, then you begin to understand that maybe I should extend a little more grace to the people around us. A little more grace to the people around us. In Genesis 13, you kind of see that happening in Abram's life. And it's, it's a really, to me, it's a really neat picture. It's a really kind of a, a, a great, uh, I don't want to say a story because it's actually something true that happened. But, I mean, as you walk through this, you begin to see Abram kind of coming out of this, this great failure. You're coming out of this great failure. He, famine came into the land, and, and he, he found his way to Egypt. And on his way to Egypt, he says, you know what, um, honey, you're, you're an incredibly beautiful woman, and the Egyptians are going to want you as theirs. And so why don't we go into Egypt, and, and you lie and tell them that you're my sister, and, and, and that will go better for me in the midst of this, and they won't kill me, and all that kind of stuff. And so he tells that lie, and he's, he's incredibly blessed from the world standpoint because of it. He's given great riches and great wealth as a result of 
what he tells um, Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and then his wife is taken into Pharaoh's household, and then God steps in, and God uh, strikes the Egyptians with a plague, Pharaoh's household with a plague, and Pharaoh kind of wakes up, and he goes, something's not right here. He calls Abram in, and Abram um, has to basically say, yeah, I, I sort of lied to you, and, uh, and so then Pharaoh basically says, get out. Take everything you have and get out of here. So he finds himself in a place, okay? Uh, in the end of chapter 12, it says, Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. Wouldn't you, that would have been some kind of escort, you know what I'm saying? I mean, some kind of escort that Abram had with all of his servants and all of his possessions. And it's like, we're escorting you out of here because we want to make sure that you're gone. We want to make sure that you're gone. And so when you pick up in chapter 13, we'll go through verses 1 through 4 for a minute. It says, So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife, and all that belonged to him, and Lot with him. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. You see, he got back to the place that he was when he last heard from God. He got back to that place. And then in verse 4, to the place of the altar, which he had made there formerly, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. It's what's been absent in his journey to Egypt. It's what's been absent there is that he didn't pursue God. He didn't ask God. He didn't talk to God. He didn't call upon the name of the Lord. He just went and did what he thought was right. He went and did what he thought was right, and he went out there. But he gets back to the place after the season of famine, after the season of failure in his life, he gets back to the place where he last heard from God. And he's there, and I don't know about you, but you ever wonder what that conversation went like? I mean, you ever think about what that conversation sounded like as he, as he got back to that altar, back to that place that he, he last called on the name of the Lord, and what he had to say as he called on God right there? It's like, um... So, God, I, I really, really messed up. I really blew it. Um, so you probably already know, but let me just tell you, you know, there was a famine in the land, and we were hungry, and so we made our way to Egypt, and I had this really great idea, God, that we would tell everybody that Sarai was my sister and not my wife. And, man, it, it went so badly for us down there. And, uh, and so, and, and do you imagine what that conversation was like? He calls on the name of the Lord again. And, and friends, this, this is one of the things for us that we've got to get to that place. We've got to get to that place where, where we can admit our failures. Because you, you can't come out of the season of famine from the season of failure in Abram's life and not talk about the failure. He's, he, he, you know, you can't t not talk about it. And so he's there and he's calling on God again uh, because there's this renewing that happens in our relationship when we are able to confess our sins. When we're able, to, when we confess it and we kind of come clean before God and there's this renewing that happens in the midst of and restoring of a relationship that was broken because of sin. And so there, there's something that's really healthy about that in, in your life. And I don't know where you are on your journey. I don't know where you are in trials or famine. I don't know where you are with failures or maybe great steps. I don't know where you are on that spectrum. But what I know is this. You've got to come clean before God. You've got to come clean before God in the midst of your successes and failures. 
Come clean. Just open yourself up and lay yourself bare before him and say, okay, God. That's what we read last week. If you remember Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. God, you got to You got to search me. Show me. Tell me. And let me come clean before you. And so now he's got this, this restoring in his relationship. And as his faith grows, grace grows in the midst of it. So let's, let's look at what happens um, throughout the rest of chapter um, 13 here. So picking up in verse 5, follow this, what happens? Okay. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. And the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling then in the land. And so you got to kind of imagine what's going on here. They were uh, actually both men were men of great wealth at this time. Actually, Abram, I mean, he was, he was like the elite. I mean, he was the wealthy of the wealthy, if you really dig into it a little bit. It tells us a little bit earlier in chapter 12, it says that he had uh, camels and, and all of these types of animals. They start listing them in chapter 12, and one of the things that was mentioned was camels. Well, camels were like the, the elite um, animal of the day. It, they had just sort of been domesticated in a way that they were used for traveling from place to place to place. And it was really new, and only the, the wealthiest people had camels. And it says in Genesis chapter 12 that, that Abram was given these, that he had these, he had this great wealth. Um, it was kind of like, um, you know, in our culture, w- the, the car that I saw yesterday as I uh, was driving down 278 and the guy driving the Bentley you know, I don't know if you've seen the Bentley or, or some kind of car like that, maybe a Rolls Royce. I don't know what it might be for you. Some, you're also might be like me. I, I like the new BMW convertibles, but there's this idea of that's what we're talking about. That, that, I mean, that's like the, the wealthy of the wealthy um, had camels and he and Abram was incredibly wealthy. And so was Lot. Now, Lot wasn't as wealthy as Abram was, but he was pretty wealthy too. And what happened in the midst of that, and it, and it has never happened in the history of mankind ever since, is that their wealth got in the way of their relationship. That was a little, little joke there. So their wealth got in the way of their relationship. And so what happens is they've got all of this stuff, and their herdsmen are beginning to compete for who gets the best area for their animals to graze and to feed on. And so they have this conflict that enters into their relationship. And, and so their wealth got in the way of that. And Abram, in, in all of his faith and all of his wisdom, listen to what happens. I, I just love this as he's growing, as faith grows. Remember, we're not so far removed from the famine in the land. And he just packs up and moves to Egypt. We're not so far away from the failure of him lying. We're not so far removed from any of that stuff. And we come upon this. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. Or if to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw in the valley of the Jordan that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. 
Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. Verse 14. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. Look northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I for I will give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. It's just this, to me, this is such a great picture. Again, Abram's mentioned in the New Testament as a man of great faith. He's mentioned as a man of great faith. And, and what you discover as faith grows in his life, so does grace. He, it's not that he never fails again, because we know he does, and we talk about that in the coming weeks. It's not that he never fails, because he does fail, much like you and I. We go through these seasons of faith to famine to failure, and then we get restored, and it's that whole cycle that's part of the Christian walk. But in the midst of this, you've got some really good stuff. How to navigate through some difficult relationships. I don't know if you have difficult relationships. I don't know if those sometimes have gotten the best of you, but, but you see Abram handling something incredibly well, and it really boils down to his faith. It really boils down to his faith growing in that he believed that God is who he said that he is, that he's going to do what he said he's going to do, and in that faith, it allowed that relationship to be grown with grace. And so, um, there's actually five things that you begin to see in the midst of this. There's five things that you see in this relationship, in this peace in Abram, and, and, and it has to do with, with um, how you're going to approach conflict. It really does, because there's that conflict. The conflict is they can't all have the land. The conflict is they're fighting over who gets what, and they want the best. And so Abram, in his wisdom, the first thing he sees is he is able to identify the conflict. He's able to identify the conflict. Now, I don't know about you in your life, but I know in my life, in relationships that I have with other people, there's always going to be conflict. Conflict is always going to arise because, like you, I like to be right. I do. I like to be right, and because I like to be right, and the people that I might have friendships with and be in relationships with, they like to be right as well. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but in, you and your spouse, you have conflict because you want to be right, and your spouse wants to be right. That might be the source of greatest conflict in your life, might be between you and your spouse, and a lot of it just has to do with you both want to be right. And some of you are willing to hold so tenaciously to wanting to be right that you allow this conflict to happen in your life. You allow conflict to happen. But the first step in the midst of this, the first step of those relationships and allowing faith to grow and then grace to grow, the first step is for you to identify conflict. The first step is for you to even be able to see, can you even say what the problem is? Is the problem the fact that you want to be right and they want to be right? Is that the problem? Or is the problem deeper than that? Maybe the problem is um, you're, you're in a, a relationship with somebody, a, a marriage, and you like to save money, but they like to spend money. There's a conflict with that. I don't know if you realize that. There's a conflict. My wife and I are in a really bad relationship because we both like to spend money. Um, that's one of the bad things about us. We both like to spend money. But you might, there, there might be conflict because you're a saver and she's a spender. 
There might be conflict because um, you're an introvert and she's an extrovert. She wants to have people over to your house and you don't want to have people in your house. There's all sorts of ways that conflict plays out. You might be in a conflict with one of your friends because they're a saver and you're a spender and you want to go out to dinner and you want to go hang out and you want to go do all these things. And they're like, I can't do it right now. Um, I don't have, you know, and so that conflict arises. And the truth is that for, for most of us, we can't even, we, we don't even take the time to stop to identify what that conflict is. Abram, Abram does in Genesis 13. He takes the time and he identifies this conflict. He realizes that the, their, their herdsmen are fighting with one another. Their herdsmen are out there. They're in the field and they're fighting over which herd gets what piece of grass to feed on and those types of things. And they're fighting. And then it says that the Canaanite and the Perizzite were in the land as well. These other people were in the land. There's this great competition for, for this area for their, for their herds to feed on. And it's not supposed to be that way. It's not supposed to be that way. So you've got to get to the place in your relationships. Can you identify the conflict? You might be sitting in here this morning and you have, you've had like a three-day-long three um, fight with your spouse. And you might be sitting here going, you know, I can't even remember why this started. I've been in those conversations with my wife. I know that. It's like we get into some sort of conflict and we start talking about it. And then, it, you know, then it's like an, an hour later we're like, so why did we start talking about this anyway? You can't even remember. Because... You've got, to identify, you've got to identify, you've got to drill down and go, what is, what's the source of the conflict? And they, Abram was able to do that. He looked at it, he says, this is it. We're fighting over land. And so what he does then, number two in this, and this is the one that you're not going to like, okay? So you may not want to write this down, but you need to write it down, okay? You're not going to want to, but you need to, and it's this. Don't play the blame game. Don't play the blame game. Because we're really good at playing the blame game. We learned it, okay, when we were about this tall. And I'm not talking about this tall from down there. I'm talking about this tall from up on the stage. We learned to play the blame game when we were this tall. Now, my wife and I have five kids. And it's amazing as Andy and Tate are three years old now. And they're, they're speaking in sentences and they make sense when they talk most of the time. Um, it's amazing how quickly they blame somebody else for something that happened. You know, how quickly they blame the, their, their behavior or lack of self-control or whatever. It was the result of what somebody else did to them. Well, Cole kicked me or Addie hit me or they took my toys or whatever it was, but we learned to play the blame game from a very young age. And in your relationships with other people, you have to guard against laying blame. You have to guard against going, this is my husband's fault, this is my wife's fault, this is my friend's fault, this is my... It's not... You've got to stop doing that. Don't enter into that kind of an argument in the midst of your relationship. Stop playing the blame game. The reality of it is we, we spend most of our life doing that blaming somebody else to the point that we're never willing to accept responsibility for ourselves. Stop playing the blame game. Abram, it never even came, and this is kind of a, a point from silence because he doesn't do it. It really would have been easy for him to blame Lot, right? Well, Lot, you tagged along this whole time anyway, and you know, I mean, you're, you're, you've, your wealth is piggybacked off of my wealth, and you know, this is all your fault. Just why don't you pack up your stuff and get out of here? This is my land. This is mine. 
get out of here. He could have easily said that, but he didn't. So don't play the blame game. As your faith grows, your grace grows. As your faith grows, God, that's it. God is who he said he is. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. So allow grace to enter into your relationships with other people. Allow grace to enter there. Stop playing the blame game. The third thing, this is another one you really won't like. Run to conflict. Run to conflict. Most of us want to run away from conflict. Most of us don't want to encounter conflict, so we just, we run away from it, we shy away from it. Somebody's hurt our feelings, somebody's bothering us, somebody, we don't like what some, we're, we're so unwilling to actually confront conflict, to run to it, and try to find a solution, and that's another point, but the idea is you've got to run there. Don't avoid it, don't run away from it, run to it. I'll give you an example in my life. I was, um, I was a junior in college which seems like forever and a day ago. I was a junior in college. My sophomore year, um, I had dated this girl the, the entire school year. And uh, during the summer between my sophomore and junior year, we broke up for, different, for, for good reason, but we broke up. And, uh, and, but she still attended the school where I went. She didn't stay there um, after the first semester. But it was one of those things where I, I did not have any desire to see her uh, in my life. I don't know if you guys have ever encountered that in your life, but I didn't have any desire to see her. So uh, we had one building. It was actually the size of Noah's Ark. Pretty cool thing. But um, we had one building that had two stairways. And so what I would do is, uh, normally I just kind of went about my day, but if I, if I, for some reason, I saw her like at, at one end of the hallway on the first floor coming down this way, I would go up the stairs and walk on the second floor over to the other end of the building so I didn't have to have this confrontation with her. And that's how a lot of us live our life in relationships with other people. We live our life running away from conflict. We never want to deal with it. We never want to address it. We never want to put it out there and say, listen, we need to talk about this. But Abram, he, he ran right to it. He identified it. He didn't blame, lay blame. And then he just runs right to conflict, calls Lot out. Verse 8, he says, so Abram said to Lot, just, hey, come here, let's talk. Let's talk. Listen, please let there be, there doesn't need to be any strife between me and you. There doesn't need to be any strife between our herdsmen there doesn't need to be anything there because we're brothers, we're family. We've, we've got to stop this. So we've got to solve this. And so that's the next point. When you get to it, you, you identify conflict. You don't lay the blame. You run to the conflict, and then you find a solution. You find a solution. You find this common ground of which you can kind of go with from there. They know that they, they identified the problem. They're saying, okay, so here's the solution. This is what's great. This is why I say that as faith grows, grace grows. Because grace is extended to Lot in the midst of right here in this conversation. Abram shows up, verse 8, he says, let's talk. There shouldn't be any strife between us. Let's solve this. There's, there doesn't need to be any. We're brothers. We're family. Let there not be any strife. And he says this, verse 9, is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. And if to the right, then I will go to the left. You see why I think and, and why I believe this is such a great picture of grace? It's because Abram could have stood there and said a couple of things. He could have said, well, Lot, I'm the wealthiest of the two of us. Um, so I picked this land and you just need to go over there. He could have said that. But he didn't do that. He actually lets Lot take a pick. He says, Lot, you stand here, okay, and you look out. If you go to the right, I'm going left. If you go left, then I'm going right. That's grace. 
Grace, grace is in not saying, Lot, um, by the way, God promised this land to me, um, so pack up your stuff and get out. Because if you go back to Genesis 12, if you go back to the place where they had been wandering around and God showed up there, Early on in Genesis 12, God shows up and they build an altar. They got after God. They worshiped God because God told them, I will give this land to you and your descendants. I will give this land to you and your descendants. And, and Abram could have played that card. Could have played that card easily right here in his conversation with Lot. But no, he extends grace. Why? Because Abram believed that God was who he said he was. That God was going to do what he said that he was going to do. And he was, that's it. They find a solution. Find a solution in the midst of the conflict and allow grace to be in the middle of that solution. Don't hold like you've got to be right. Abram could have done it that way. I've got to be right. But he didn't do it. They found a solution, which led to the last part of this, which is really kind of the big picture talking about faith and allowing faith to grow so that grace grows in the midst of those relationships is Abram trusted God for the outcome. He trusted God for the outcome. You see, friends, we spend so much of our life so consumed with ourselves and how certain things affect me and how certain things impact me that we, we very rarely give the thought to others. And trust God for the end result. The idea of faith growing in your life is that you're trusting God. You're trusting God for the results. And th this is why this is so beautiful to me in, in Genesis chapter 13, beginning in verse 14. He says this, Then or, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him. So God shows back up. All of this. He identified the conflict. He didn't play the blame game. He ran to the conflict. They found a solution. He's trusting God for the outcome. This is what God does. God shows up. Now, lift up your eyes. You see, Lot had lifted up his eyes, and he had chosen. And so God shows up, and he says to Abram, Now you lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are and look northward and southward and eastward and westward. For the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise. I love this. Verse 17. Arise. Walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent. He did what God, he got up, did what God told him to do. He gets after it. And then you know what? Same thing he'd been doing when he was in this great relationship with God, this man of great faith. He finds himself, and he came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there, what's he do? He builds an altar, and he gets after God. He builds an altar, and he gets after God. I love it. It's one of those things where in the midst of this relationship, in the midst of this conflict, he goes through all of it, but he's trusting God with the end result. He's trusting God to do what God's going to do. He's trusting God to do what only God can do. And in the midst of your life, in the midst of your relationships with other people, as, as you encounter conflict, as you encounter trials, as you encounter problems, friends, you've got to begin to go through this. You've got to identify it. You've got to accept the responsibility. Stop playing the blame game. Find a solution and trust God for the outcome. 
Trust God for the outcome as your faith grows. This is what we're talking about. As you're maturing, as you're growing in Christ, allow grace to impact your relationships with other people. Allow grace to step in. Allow grace, the fact that God's given you what you don't deserve. Allow grace, what you can give somebody else, even though they may not deserve it. Allow grace to impact the relationships that God has for you in your life. You and I were designed, we were created for relationships. And in our relationships, God desires for us to glorify Him. God desires for us to spur one another on, to encourage one another. And especially as brothers and sisters in Christ, to not live in conflict with one another. As families, as family units sometimes, to not live in conflict, but to to address this conflict and move past it. And trust God. Trust God for the outcome. Trust what he's doing in somebody else's life. And trust what he's doing in your life. Trust him for the outcome. Stop putting up walls. Stop blaming everybody else. Begin to look at yourself. Trust God. That's what we're talking about with faith. Trusting God, believing that he is who he said that he is. He's going to do what he said that he's going to do. Trust him for the outcome in the midst of your relationships so that as your faith grows, your grace grows in the midst of those. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, God, just the encouragement of it, the challenge. Lord, we we all find ourselves in the midst of some difficult relationships from time to time. So, Father, I pray specifically that you would just encourage us, God, that you would challenge us, Lord, to learn from our our mistakes, to learn from our failures. And God, allow our walk with you to grow in such a way that we extend grace in the midst of our relationships with other people. And Father, we give you praise and glory. Thank you for this morning, for our time together as your people. Continue to work in us as we leave this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm asking if you would to stand with me. We're going to sing Shine on Us, a, a, a great song that just kind of is a reminder of God's grace and it pouring out on us. And if you, if you want to talk this morning, if you want somebody to pray with you, you've, you're going through maybe some of these difficult relationships, and you just want to talk with somebody, Josh and I are both here. We'd love to, to spend a few minutes with you, or even after the service, if you're not comfortable during the service, just come and, come and grab one of us after the service. We'd love to spend some time praying with you. Let's sing together.
right, thank y'all for being here today. Um, I know I was blessed by the message. I pray that you were too. Um, tonight actually is a Wano Awards night. Um, if you wanted to come tonight and just kind of cheer on our kids as they get their awards for, they've been doing a Wano since like August. They've been working really hard. They get their awards tonight. Um, Wano starts at five. We'll be over here a little bit later to do the awards ceremony. So if you wanted to come and support them, we invite you to do that. Um, other than that, we invite you back next week to be here. We really hope to see you. You're dismissed.